All right, folks, we are here to talk some Chicago Cubs baseball and a little bit more on the baseball front today. It is episode number 43 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Jeremy Spector's here. Randall J. Sanders is here. I'm Ronan O'Shea. A quick look at what we're talking about today. Cubs have a new hitting coach. We're going to talk about Greg Brown, what he brings to the Cubs organization. We'll take a quick look down at Arizona with the Fall League. Two Cubs players the hitter of the week and the pitcher of the week. We'll tell you who they are and what they did this past week. The World Series is over, and it's not a ring for Dusty Baker. Atlanta knocks off Houston in six. We'll shed some light on that. We've got a five-year memory here of the Chicago Cubs World Series. Can you believe it's already been five years? We want to reflect on that. I've got some World Series-related trivia for Jeremy and Randall. I'm looking forward to that. And then some breaking news here just before the podcast started Buster Posey retiring. Wow, that's a shocker, at least to me. We're going to talk about it. We'll shed our thoughts on it, but that's Behind the Yellow Line podcast number 43. And you can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. So please give us a follow, share your thoughts with us. Um, let's get into it, though, boys. Uh, there's always Cubs news every week, something different. We've been talking a lot about the front office the last couple of weeks. Let's talk about the coaching staff here. There is a new hitting coach with the Chicago Cubs now. Greg Brown is the guy. Randall, should we be happy? Should we be concerned? What do we got here with Greg Brown? Well, we've talked about it before as the Cubs hired their assistant, their now GM, their assistant GM away from the Cleveland organization. They've hired an assistant GM away from the Houston organization. And now they've raided uh, Tampa's ranks for filling out their coaching staff. And Tampa, of course, is very good at making the most out of the least. And this is a guy who's been the minor league hitting coordinator for the entire Tampa organization the past couple of years. It seems to me that with some of the offensive prospects that they've been able to promote the last few seasons, that's the kind of mind you want working with your big league hitters. So on the surface, I like to hire a lot. Yeah, I, I, you know, for me, the moment I went on his uh, Twitter account, and I saw in his bio where he said he's a Pearl Jam enthusiast. Oh, God. <laughs> that was the moment that sealed the deal for me. I thought that, oh, this is a great hire. Obviously, a Pearl judgment. Jam enthusiast. He's got judgment. He knows what he's doing. He knows what to like. He's a big enthusiast. I'm an enthusiast of the word enthusiast. I also have it in my bio, so you can check it out, see what I'm an enthusiast of. <laughs> uh but I like Greg Brown, too. I, I think there's a good hire. Um, He was, you know, the head, former head coach at Nova Southeast in Miami, which is where J.D. Martinez went to school. He, he was a, a scout for the Astros in the uh, Puerto Rico and South Florida, and he, he found Kike, Kike Hernandez and uh, J.D. Martinez as well uh, prior to being the coach at Nova Southeast. And so I, he, that's a very successful uh, baseball program. It's a, it's a lower-level program. It's not a D1A program, but they've had guys go to the majors. Mike Fires is another guy, I believe, that came out of there. Uh, J.D. Martinez, obviously. And and they've and they've had success there. And then he he parlayed that into being the hitting coordinator of the Tampa Bay Rays, which, as Randall said, the Rays have been a uh, great development organization, probably an, uh, one of the top, maybe the best development organization there is in the baseball. And they always seem to bring up guys and find get the best out of players that you know they're always developing. So it's pretty cool uh, to hire a guy from there. And I think you know, obviously, with Justin Stone taking over the director of hitting position last year. Um, I, I would you would think that he fits in well with that approach that Justin Stone's been teaching and and some there's been some struggle like it seemed like the hitting was a little behind the pitching this past season so it's nice to get a hitter uh, a new hitting coach in there somebody to work with David Ross I, I you would imagine Ross, Ross had a lot of input as well not like I opposed to who they just brought back and Ross was kind of forced to 
on him. Um, so I, I just like the idea of bringing somebody in from the outside again and somebody they all, you know, collaborated on probably to hire. So, Jeremy, you're saying they couldn't have found a better man in this hire? Oh, wow. Ooh, look at Randall. <laughs> look at Randall. Oh, line of the night from Randall just swooping in there uh, with the Pearl Jam reference. Are you guys surprised at all? So the Cubs got rid of their hitting coach. They kept their assistant hitting coach. Now they've hired a new hitting coach. I mean, where does this leave Chris Valeka in the grand scheme of things? Well, it the and it was either the end of season. It must have been the end of season press conference. Uh, Jed seemed very high on Chris Valeka. He said mm. that Valeka would be back next year, pretty much no matter what. Whether it would be the assistant hitting coach or a different role, uh, you know that would probably be determined. I, I I would think he's probably back as the assistant hitting coach. But that's a guy that the Cubs have seemed very high on in the past. He was also came up. To, I believe he even briefly might have even played or played for the Cub. Was in the Cub system or sometimes I confuse him with his brother. But uh, so to me, yeah, I would think he's back next year because Jed seemed high on him. Yeah, I would I would think that if he is the kind of offensive mind you'd want to keep around, he probably stays in that assistant hitting coach or, you know, it's possible the Cubs give him one of these minor league coordinator positions in anticipation of him taking a bigger role uh, for hitting infrastructure in the organization. Um, but it's, like you said, it seems like he's an offensive mind they would want to keep around. And Jeremy, you are, of course, correct. Chris Malika did play for the Chicago Cubs in 2014. He actually got 131 plate appearances and they were not anything to write home about, but he, he did put on a Cubs uniform for, for, for 44 games in 2014. And, and I would feel like, unless you don't want to travel, uh, like, you know, the big league club does, but I would feel like being the assistant hitting coach of a big league team is a lot better job than being a minor league yeah. hitting coordinator. Totally. And you're just in that big league clubhouse and um, you're working with the guys that have made it to that top level. Um, so with this hiring, Greg Brown is the new hitting coach. There's one more vacancy currently on the Cubs coaching staff. Remember, Mike Borzello walked away after many, many years in the Cubs organization. So that associate pitching, catching strategy type role or whatever they choose to do with that moving forward, that's one more slot. It feels like the team still needs to figure out here looking ahead to next year. Yeah, and that's interesting because it, it doesn't. I feel like it doesn't have to be relegated to that. They could bring in any type of. Mm -hmm. uh, they have like a, uh, you know, a kind of. They moved somebody from the front office uh, last year down, to, or maybe two years ago, down to the, to the dugout. So like they could bring in a just you know another kind of not I, I like, you know, more advanced guy to, be in that type of role. Well, I think Cubs fans should be excited here about Greg Brown coming in as the hitting coach. Uh, to your point earlier, guys, he's coming from a wonderful organization in the sense of developing baseball players. I've been very, very critical of Tampa Bay on this podcast the last couple of weeks, but that's been their ownership and their inability to kind of go for the kill or spend more money on the big league roster. I think their coaching staff, their player development is among the best in baseball, maybe the best in baseball, given the limited resources they have there. So this should be a good one. And things continue to turn on as this front or front office gets tweaked and changes and we begin to get a little bit closer of a clearer picture of what the 2022 season is going to look like. Um, some good news from Arizona. We remember we opened up talking about the Arizona Fall League a couple weeks ago, and we were all a little bit quiet because the first week or so for Cubs prospects, things didn't go so well. Well, things are going very well right now. In this past week, the week of October 25th to October 30th, the Cubs prospects have garnered Hitter of the Week and Pitcher of the Week honors in the Arizona Fall League. Nelson Velasquez has homered in four different games last week. He got two more hits today, too. He's hitting 385 
in the Arizona Fall League. He was the hitter of the week. And then Caleb Killian, who came over in the Chris Bryant trade earlier this summer, he had three innings over the week in relief, one outing, six strikeouts, one hit, no walks. He is pitcher of the week. And if you remember how the Arizona Fall League opened for Caleb Killian, I think he gave up six or seven earned runs, didn't record an out. And now here we are a couple of weeks later, and he brings home the honor of pitcher of the week. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and this is this is not insignificant because Nelson Velasquez has probably played himself onto a 40-man roster spot. Those yeah. are valuable. You don't necessarily add just anybody to the 40-man roster. And, you know, this this he's played himself into that spot, and he's probably going to start the season at double-A with an eye on potentially moving him up to triple-A. Uh, if he performs well, if you're on the 40 man roster and you're playing at double A AA or triple A, you're a phone call away from the majors. So this has ripple effects. And that's why you send guys to the AFL to see if they can kind of play themselves and keep themselves uh, in that status. And yeah, this is, this is not insignificant. He's been tearing the cover off the ball and he's probably worked himself more into the organization's plans going forward than he had prior to this season and this red hot stint in Arizona. Yeah, I bet, you know, we talked about last week, uh, but Velasquez, as Randall just said, he's been on a tear. He's been on a tear since, you know, midseason. I even remember sending a text and I want to say like August, probably to our group chat being like Nelson Velasquez. Is he, he's like playing himself into a real prospect, um, you know, fifth round pick out of Puerto Rico that we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, he's 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 finally turned it on. He, he's he's been hitting, you know, the Arizona Fall League, as we discussed, that's a lot of top prospects. I mean, one of their teammates who's playing pretty well right now is JJ Bleday, who was like a top five draft pick in the draft a couple of years ago out of Vanderbilt. So this, this these are not uh, chumps that are mostly out there, um, you know, that he's feasting on now. It's only 14 games, obviously, but still he's going out there. He's, he's performing uh, as Randall said, he's now probably a cinch to make the 40 man. He's, he's definitely going to be somebody, you know, they don't want to expose to the rule five draft. And he he will be next year. He will be a fo- probably a phone call away. He, him and Brennan Davis are pretty much kind of on the same track about now. I mean, Brennan Davis is a little bit ahead going into Triple uh, A, but they were teammates last year in the Tennessee Smokies to finish out the second half of the year. Velasquez was killing it. It would not it would not surprise me if he started out next year in Triple A at Iowa if he has a decent spring training. Uh, he spent the second half of last year yeah in Tennessee, uh, and Caleb Killian, you know, he kind of had that. At Tennessee at that end of the season where they didn't really get that much time and he came out and there were some issues with, you know, the automated strike zone at the start of this year. And Caleb Killian seemed uh, Arizona Fall League. I mean, the start of Arizona Fall League seemed like a guy who, you know, kind of nibbles. So it affected him a lot. And he, he killed it uh, this past week and he, him and Ryan Jensen both pitched pretty well. And it's great to see him bounce back from that slow start. Um, back to Velasquez though, oh, yeah. he's 22 years old. You mentioned the great success he had this year, 103 games between high A and double A, slash 270, 333, 500, 20 home runs, 17 steals in 103 games. That's a really good year. And you jumped up a level in the middle of the season, like you were saying there, Jeremy. And most of the damage was done after he jumped up. Like he did not perform as well in, in high A, and then he performed better in double A. Well, what I like about this story, too, is that this is a guy who obviously was very productive during the pandemic. When the minor league season was shut down, he went back to Puerto Rico and he put in work because he came out of that break, that year off where we didn't get to see everybody better than ever. So that's cool. That's rewarding to see a guy who was put in this position that we were all put in. The world stopped 
everything got crazy, he came out on the other side of it a better ball player. I love that. And this is a guy who might be at Wrigley Field before the end of next season. And he's not a guy that, like, wasn't, you know, not quite. Like, he had talent. You don't go uh, in the fifth round out of, uh, you know, being, like, 18 years old out of Puerto Rico if you're not on the, on the team's radar. Like, he's a de- that's a decent draft pick because that's – you know, in the uh, bonus slot pick. Uh, so you got to pay those guys some money to, for them to sign. Yeah. Um. So he, he, and so it's nice to see him finally kind of turning on that potential. Like you're not trying to find like a, an all-star in the fifth round, but if you, you know, getting production like that out of a, a guy like this, who's turning himself into a real legitimate prospect, it's nice to see that finally coming around. Absolutely. Well, guys, Things are going well in Arizona, even if we still can't watch those ball games. Although the uh, Arizona Fall League All-Star game and then the championship game will be on MLB Network. So let's check back in here in a couple of weeks. What do the, you got, Randall? The, the Fall Stars game. Somebody, Fall MLB, Stars game, yeah. Somebody at MLB dropped that on the boardroom <laughs> table and took an early lunch that day. They deserved it. That's a great one. That's a really, really good one. Yeah, I, I like just wish, that. again, we could see more of it. The other thing I feel too, like there was a streaming game the other day. Yeah, maybe a couple games are popping up. The other thing too is these games are smack dab right in the middle of the day for yeah. the most part. Um, you know, twelve thirty in the afternoon or something, taking advantage of the mild or somewhat wild weather this time of the year down in the Phoenix area. Uh, but it looks like a lot of fun. Um, I did see it was Halloween. There were some kids dressed up like trick or treating at the Arizona Fall League games, and I thought, man, if I had to grow up living in Arizona, that would have been a perk. That would be cool to go to a ballpark on Halloween like that dressed up like Randall J. Sanders and getting some candy from the ball players. Yeah. The, I, I, the one person on this podcast actually had a Halloween costume, uh-huh. but you're saying you dressed up like Randall J. Sanders. Not quite. I would. I not, would quite, quite, I would not quite. Yeah. As a kid, he would dress up as Randall J. Sanders and go out to the ballpark and get some treats. Exactly. Right. Um, anything else Chicago Cubs related before we move over to the world series here. That's on either of your minds here as we are sitting, what November 3rd, a couple about a month out from the CBA expiring and um, the Cubs are coming off this 90 plus loss season. You know, you, you just hope that the front office is anticipating for all contingencies that they're, they're doing and putting in the research that they're working out that budget. You hope that if we do have some semblance of a normal off season, if they're able to get the CBA sorted out without too much of a disruption, you hope the Cubs are ready to go out and be productive. They claim they're going to spend this off season. We're all skeptical and rightly so, but the money is there. The free agent targets are there. I hope we have as much of a better off season as we can have with this labor fight looming. I hope we have a better off season than we've had the last couple off seasons. I, I yeah, you, you started off this podcast saying once again, you know, every week the Cubs are making moves and I, I hope we continue with that, yeah. you know, free agency starting in a couple of days today, a bunch of players were officially, you know, named free agents. Obviously, once some contracts are either picked up or declined options, and when the option deadline comes, you'll, you'll get even more into that list. Um, and moves are already happening. The Detroit Tigers, Cincinnati Reds already made a trade. Like, there are going to be teams and players that are going to act early. And so, you know, I, I'm just hope you know, the Cubs, I could see them, you know, trying to, trying to make some early moves. I don't think ever, people really want to wait till, you know, February possibly to try to, in a mad rush, get your team sorted out because the Cubs have a lot of holes. So we're going to try to fill some, some room. And so, you know, I, I would just like to see the Cubs, uh, you know, really, you know, over the next month or so uh, put themselves in a position to really take advantage of this off season. Jeremy, that's an excellent point. We don't know what this off season is going to be, but we do know that there is a hard date where everything is very likely going to come to 
uh, a stop to for some length of time, you might see teams starting to jump the market. The World Series ended last night, and we already had, I don't know if you'd call it a major trade, but it's a, it's a trade of an established player to a, a team on the rise. So you make an excellent point. We might see teams trying to jump the market and get a, a free agent signing in there if the player is willing, or get trades in there before everything shuts down. So that's an excellent point. Well, uh, you guys enlighten me. I've been pretty swamped here today. What was the trade? I did not see uh, that. Sorry, it was a Tucker Barnhart was traded from the Cincinnati Reds to the Detroit Tigers, Tigers for one of their prospects, Nick Quintana, middle infielder from the University of Arizona, probably a top 25 prospect in their system. Hmm. Yeah. And I would I would like to point out, Ronan, you've been real big on the Reds the last few off seasons. That, that's been one of your things the last few off seasons. Again, you're out of nowhere. You know, I'm just sitting there, the text from you, the Reds are going to win the NL Central. Uh, and I, that has not quite come that come out that way. And I believe their front office went on the record today as saying that they're going to, you know, in a bunch of words, work on saving money and cutting payroll. So, Brutal. you know, they went for it with Castellanos. He's likely to opt out and they may be back on the downswing after a very short and not terribly productive upswing. Yeah, they said something along the lines they were going to align their payroll resources with their like roster position or something. I forgot exactly the quote that Nick Kroll said. On one hand, I'm I'm not going to mourn like a bad Reds team. That just means hopefully more wins for the Cubs and one less headache in the division as the Cubs try to get back to relevancy here. On the other hand, it's horrible. The state of Cincinnati Reds ownership. This is a proud franchise. They do have Randall. I know you're going to shake your head. They do have a good fan base. They got a nice ballpark there in Cincinnati. This is an old school baseball team and their ownership does not try to win. They do not try to win every once in a while, put a couple guys together, spend a little bit of money. Doesn't happen right away. Blow the whole damn thing up. I just don't like that for baseball. The Reds should be trying to win baseball games Looks like they're setting themselves up to slash payroll again. Well, they they won they won the offseason a couple years ago. You know, yeah, they were one Shogo. of those teams. <laughs> they got Shogo, they got Castellanos, they made some other moves. People were high on the Reds. Uh, personally, I was skeptical, but actually Castellanos performed better than I thought he would out there and since uh, particularly this year. Um, but uh yeah, it's it's interesting to see them kind of taking a step back if that's the direction they're gonna go. Yeah, well, between the Reds and the Padres, the teams to have won the offseason the last few offseasons have not fared well when it, when push comes to shove. No, and that's that's that seems like a, a very common thing. I mean, I'm, the White Sox have won the offseason a bunch and not performed well. A lot of teams do that, which is why I've always been personally, and I think Jed was kind of saying that in his end of the end of the uh, season. Uh, press conferences, it's not really just making moves like anybody can go out there and just sign anybody for 200, 300 million dollars or whatever. You have to make moves that make sense. And sometimes that is making a huge move like signing John Lester or, or Jason Hayward. Sometimes that fits perfectly. And I'm not saying that the Cubs shouldn't be doing that at all this year, because I think there are moves like that that would fit perfectly. But like you, you shouldn't just go out and spend money or make moves just for the sake of making moves like it has to fit and it has to make sense. Like you should just spend. 10 million. I remember when people were mad that the Cubs didn't spend $5 million on Eric Sogard and look at this. So Eric Sogard was only like a year or two later and they got him pretty much for free and he didn't do much. I would like to go on the record as saying I was never mad that they didn't spend $5 million on Eric Sogard. I was not on that list. I have never expressed that sentiment. Well, Randall, I'm sure you're certainly mourning the fact that Tucker Barnhart is now out of the division. I'm you sure know what? Now that he's now that he plays for the not reds, I wish him all the best. All right. I like the tigers going Picking up some salary a little bit. I think the Tigers will be good next year. 
they, that, let's hope that they go for it. Uh, my brother was saying he thought Korea may end up in Detroit. Wouldn't that be cool if they kind of go for it that way? Yeah, and I think they might. Give the White Sox a run for the money there in the American League Central. Uh, well, speaking about other teams, World Series, kind of an anticlimactic end to the World Series, I thought. Six games, Atlanta had to go to Houston after the Astros won in game five, but it was all Atlanta last night, a 7 nothing final. Jorge Soler with a monster home run out of the ballpark, down at Minute Maid Park. He ends up being the World Series MVP. Three go-ahead home runs in the World Series for Jorge Soler. This is fun, guys. If the Cubs couldn't do it this year, at least it wasn't St. Louis. At least it wasn't Milwaukee. At least it wasn't the White Sox. And a former Cub and World Series hero gets the MVP. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, they're... We, we all know what I think of certain traditions uh, within the Braves fan base, but that, that I don't visit that upon the players. There are a lot of really likable guys on that Braves roster. I'm happy for Freeman. I'm happy for Peterson. Solaire, good for him, languishing in Kansas City, hitting under 200 when they picked him up at the trade deadline. You know, just one of those under-the-radar moves. He ends up the World Series MVP. How great is it to see Jorge Solaire hitting those absolute moonshots? in the world yeah. series and taking home some hardware for it. So I, I couldn't be happier for Solaire. And, you know, I would love to go back to January and tell people that Jock Peterson of the 2021 Cubs uh, has won the world series and see what some of the reactions are or even better go back to 2016 and tell people that Jorge Soler is the 2021 world series MVP and see how that plays out in between. But, you know, this was clearly the, the lesser of two options, both of them very flawed. And I'm happy for a lot of guys on the Braves roster. It's pretty remarkable that the Braves won in the manner that they did. I mean, they won four to two. They were up three to one on the Astros, a really good Astros team, an Astros team that I pretty much thought was the better team. But the Braves got hot at the right moment. They didn't quite have the same devastating injuries that teams like the Dodgers did. Um, they were they were able to get past Milwaukee. They were able to get past Los Angeles. They were able to get past Houston. I think they were underdogs in every series there. I and it surprised me how well they did. And for Jorge. You know, watching Jorge hit home runs was always, has always been fun. He's been crushing it. Um, you know, him in the field, maybe not so much, but it's it's great to see him performing. And I I, I like seeing Jorge win the uh, World Series MVP. I mean, there's a little bit of part of you that's a little kind of, you know, that was once our guy. He was out there doing it. We had such high hopes for him, and now he's doing it for another team. That kind of sucks, but it, it's fun to see him hitting it. Uh, you know, doing well. And also a guy like Brian Snicker, you know, who's been around forever, actually yeah. from the state of Illinois, but worked throughout his entire career in the Atlanta organization, moved all the way up from pretty much managing, like <laughs> right after he retired as a player, when he was like maybe 30, pretty much man managing throughout the whole brave system for 30 years and finally getting this, this shot at the big, big time and making it worth it. And uh, I, so I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm a little sad because I was team Dusty. I was rooting for Dusty. I wanted Dusty to get that ring <laughs> a little bit. I, I didn't want the Astros to win, but I, I was on team Dusty the whole time. But uh, it, it's nice to see Jorge Soler yeah, do it. And, and Jeremy, you, you said it, it's rough watching a guy who was once, quote unquote, our guy do it for another team. He's not doing it for the team the Cubs traded him to. So that that kind of wipes well, away mean, some of that for me. It still, sucks. I, I know. If Chris I know you Bryant know that. wins the MVP for the Seattle Mariners next year, World Series MVP. That's not going to not hurt a little bit. That's also that's also not going to happen like on this earth. I don't I don't know what what reality that's happening in. Why why is that not going to happen? Because he's not going to the Seattle Mariners and the why would Seattle, not Mariners, to the Seattle Mariners. That's my pick to click. Because why would he, why would you want to go to the Seattle Mariners? Because the Seattle Mariners got, are going to be like one of the top teams in the next five years. They got. 
ton, a huge tons of prospects. They're performing this well. They're, All right. Now so it's the, time for the Mariners to push Pearl in. Jam. Yeah. The the Mariners are Jeremy's Cincinnati Reds. We will. We will I got in that. on the ground floor at the KC Royals. I'm getting in on the ground floor at the Seattle Mariners. All I, right. So I, you're going to you're going to have to go get yourself a Mariners hack with yeah. the nice compass rose on it. You're going to have to wear it backwards. You're going to have to pine tar it up I'll a little bit. Pull the Kangaroo Jr. Yeah, you know what you know you need. You need one of those. You need one of their throwback hats, which is their current logo, but in the the blue and the gold colors. That's a fine hat. You need to get yourself one of those, and you need to Jeremy it up a little bit. I'm in on Seattle though. I think that team's ready to go. Scott Service. That's why that team's ready to go. They got a real skipper in that dugout. Um, Just missed the playoffs this year. They got a ton of young talent. If I'm Chris Bryant, and I can play, you know, he's going to get big money wherever he ends up going. Of all the places in the world. You could live and play baseball, Seattle, West Coast. Absolutely. Seattle's a beautiful city. I just don't think he's going to end up signing there. I feel like it's going to hit a lot of markers for him. I mean, they obviously would have to pay, but I feel like that would be a top spot. Well, I want to see Seattle spend some money. All right. Ownership group. You got a good young team here. You got a great fan base up there in Seattle. Try to win the damn thing. Go for it. Uh, That would be good for baseball. They, of course, have the longest break here without a place. Yeah, they've been mediocre for a long time was the last time Seattle made the playoffs. I'm um, talking about Solaire. Randall, I saw a tweet earlier from one of your favorite Chicago reporters, Bruce Levine, and the tweet makes sense. It kind of, when you read it the first time, you go, wow, that's incredible. But the more you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. I want to throw it by you, though. Yeah, how many extra commas are in the tweet? There, there are no extra commas, but there is a misplaced parentheses. Shocker. Or I guess a misplaced period, maybe, because it's on the wrong side of the, of the uh, parentheses. But anyway, he said, <laughs> Jorge Solaire, is the first original Cubs system player. So a player developed by the Cubs to win the World Series MVP, an award that goes back to 1955. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Not a lot of yeah. Cubs World Series teams. There's, there's no. one Cubs World Series MVP, and they did not develop him. Right. But That's I mean, incredible. just any Cubs players who went to another team but were developed by the Cubs and ended up winning the World Series MVP had never happened until Jorge Soler here in 2020. Well, you have to That's remember. That's a cool stat. There was the X Cup curse that was broken by the 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks, where if a team had like three or more Cubs on it, then they had no chance of winning the World Series. Not anymore, though. All no, the no, no it seems like they're all performing well. Like this year was of, the opposite. Yeah. It was whichever team had the most X Cubs. Would you agree with me? Though, that, a lot. <laughs> that it was kind of a little anticlimactic there at the end. I mean, for it to be a blowout game, for it not to yeah, be. Yeah, you know, you're you're doing it in game six, not even game seven. Yeah. You win seven to nothing. You're you're not slowly killing all of your fans uh, in their seats or their bar, wherever they're watching. Like, did you even count? Like that that game was over. That game was over in the fourth or the fifth. It's like it doesn't even count. It was, you know, you'd be able to cool the champagne and start celebrating like 8.39 in a game that started at 7 o'clock Central Time. Yeah. So where's the fun in that? It was a little disappointing, to be honest. You know, I was rooting for a game seven, obviously, but then a 7 nothing, you know, lead that Atlanta jumps out to. It's it's disappointing that it wasn't as uh, more climactic. And the Astros, I mean, they're bats, man. Kind of went cold in the, in the World Series. I, I expected a lot more out of them. Well, it's been five years now since the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Randall, it's been five years. How has it already been five years since that amazing night in November? Um, we have it in the rundown here that we're going to give our thoughts about the World Series and then go into trivia. But I want to swap the order here because I think the trivia question might trigger some thoughts. It might come more naturally to us at that point. So what I did here before tonight's show is I grabbed five 
Chicago Cubs World Series trivia questions. I want to see how good your memory is, how much collectively we remember from the World Series. And most of them are offensive, but I got a, a pitching one in there as well. So, Jeremy, Randall, are we ready? I am very ready. Randall's very ready. I, I'm just ready. So let's start with this one. Offensive. Like Jeremy's favorite offensive stat is the run batted in. Love so it. So my question to you all, in the World Series, seven games set, who led the Chicago Cubs in runs batted in? Ooh, that's a great question. I am, I, I hate having to guess this. I'm going to guess Addison Russell. That was going to be my guess. I was going to guess Addison Russell, so I'll guess Addison Russell as well. Right, he hit the big one, right? Got the grand slam, so that's an easy way to get some runs batted in. Addison Russell led the Chicago Cubs in the World Series and runs batted in with nine. Who was second? Ooh, would that be... Uh, would that be Anthony Rizzo, perhaps? All right, so we're going second. I'm going to say that number two was, I'm trying to think of who, who really had a big World Series. I'm, I'll am i say I'll say Bryant. Anthony Rizzo, oh, five driven yeah. in. There were five different Cubs who had two runs batted in. But the RBI leader, Addison Russell, for the Cubs in the World Series. Uh, there were Brian two... only had two runs batted in because he had two homers. <laughs> well, Jeremy, you're jumping into the next oh, question sorry. here. The Cubs leader in home runs had two. There were two players who hit two home runs each. Chris Bryant's one of them. Who was the other? Ooh, who was the other? All right. I'm going to go with homer in the world series jeremy you go first i'm gonna steal okay. your answer so i already got bryant obviously he had the two homers i remember him hitting uh one in game five and i think he hit one in game six um so who else hit two homers like i'm, I'm remembering guys that obviously hit one uh i'm gonna go ahead and guess uh, rizzo again just snaking in, guessing Rizzo. Well, yeah, I was I was biding my time and letting was, you come up with your answer. So okay. I'm going to guess Rizzo again. I don't, I'll guess Fowler then. Dexter Fowler. Yeah. Two home runs, including the leadoff home run in game seven. So Fowler and Bryant each led the Cubs with two home runs. There were two Cubs who committed two errors in the World Series. A little defensive question in here. Who were the two Cubs players that led the team with two errors each? Okay, I think one is David Ross. <laughs> but I'm not sure. I feel like he had two errors on one play. And the other one I'll say is Baez. I was also going to guess Baez. I know he had a bit of a rough series defensively at shortstop. And Jeremy, I believe you're correct in that game seven. Ross had two errors on one play where he, he allowed the, uh, the, the past ball. And then I think he made, it might've made an errant throw uh, back to Lester covering the plate, two errors on one play. Ronan, how do we do? Not so good. 50 oh, 50. Well. Uh, Javier Baez, Chris Bryant with two errors wow. in the World Series. Wow. I have a question for yeah. you all. Which Cubs pitcher threw the most innings in the World Series? I'm going to go John Lester. Who threw the most innings? Uh, I, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll say Lester. John Lester, 14 yeah. and two thirds. Right, because he would have made. Yeah. He would have made two starts, and then he pitched in relief right, in Game yeah. Seven. So that yeah. was my guess. Jake Arrieta, second on the team, eleven and a third innings pitched. Um, game Seven, Cubs defeat the Indians eight to seven in ten innings. Eight different Cubs recorded one RBI. Oof. Can you name all eight? Ooh, all right, all right, all right. I can do this. 
Um, you've got uh, Miguel Montero. You've got Ben Zobrist. That's two. You've got Baez makes three. You've got, I want to say Contreras makes four. Jeremy, I've got four of them. You got the other four. Okay, so you're saying eight different Cubs that had a RBI? A single RBI in that last game. So the Cubs won eight to seven, and all eight runs were driven in by one different person, with each okay. person getting one total. Fowler? Yeah. Fowler. Did Randall say Fowler? I yeah. did not. Oh, did Ross? I? Did David know. Ross? I was working backwards, so. David Ross? Uh, yes. I'm trying to remember. I don't quite remember who all Randall said, but uh, uh, did he say Wilson Contreras? I did. I did oh, say did. Wilson. Okay, and you said Javi Baez? I did say Javi Baez. Okay. Um, there was like a pop up that had a run score. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember. sure I know who that is. I don't want to take it away from you. Well, was it Rizzo? Like, who had... I think it was Russell. I think Russell. Russell oh, yeah, it was Russell. There Russell was like a pop a fly. RBI. That, that a run scored on. Um, I'm trying to remember all the different ways runs scored. So I think we've got did seven. Schwarber, I think Schwarber like one. ripped one in the right field that scored a run. Oh, maybe that was a different. That was a different game. I got the last one. I believe it's okay, Rizzo. I think it's Rizzo. I think he pulled one into the right field. Oh, corner. Rizzo. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm, I'm just remembering of a left-hander ripping one into the right field corner. Well, you got him. We got him there. So just to kind of recap, Russell. Zobrist, Fowler, Rizzo, Montero, Contreras, Ross, Javier Baez. So when you talk about the Cubs winning game seven of the World Series and extra innings on the road, eight different players had a single RBI in that victory for the Cubs five years ago. And um, yeah, you guys got so pretty good overall there with Cubs trivia from the World Series. Yeah, I want, I want to pull up one thing about Miguel Montero. He had 10 at-bats that entire postseason. He had hits in two of them. Those two hits were the Game 1 Grand Slam in the NLCS and the World Series winning RBI in the 10th inning of Game 7. If you're only going to get 10 at-bats and you're only going to hit two hits in those 10 at-bats, you might as well make them count, and he certainly did. He absolutely did. And then obviously the the big one too in the National League Division uh, Championship Series, the big Grand Slam, and you know not to compare it to great moments in Dodgers history or anything, but he was really injured when he hit that ball out of the ballpark too. I think a lot of people maybe forget that he had uh, had significant back pain. He was told that he wasn't going to bat there. It was going to be a double switch. Uh, Joe was called out on the bluff. Miggy just went for it, and it's a grand slam. One of the great stories of the postseason was Miguel Montero. Every year, I send Joe Blanton a Christmas card. And every <laughs> year in that Christmas card, I write, thank you for throwing the hangingest, meatiest slider in the history of baseball right after you threw the second hangingest, meatiest slider in the history of baseball. To throw the same pitch twice to get it missed the first time and then throw that same terrible pitch a second time and it ends up in the right field bleachers. Joe Blanton, we thank you for your service. You'll get your annual card this year. Wow. Five years, guys. Mm -hmm. We're getting old. You know what that means? That means the honeymoon period is over. Although I imagine for yeah. some of you, the honeymoon period was over a couple of years I, ago. I think it's I think it's been over for a little bit of time. But you well, know, you, you should give your team, especially like the Cubs, you know, a little bit of a great. You period. can't you can't ever take away what they did in that 
in that off in that postseason, easily the greatest moment that any of us are ever going to experience as Cubs fans. They could and they should, and I hope they do win another five or six in our lifetimes. And they're all going to be great because you should never take a title for granted. But none of them are going to feel like that 2016 World Series did. Agreed. I mean it, that that was different, and it doesn't have to be like that ever again. I'm glad we had it. I went to the parade. For that one, right? With five or six million people or whatever they said. Five million people. One of the largest human gatherings in modern history. I'm not doing another one. I'm not doing another parade. Even if they win another World Series, I'm good with the parades. It's never going to top that one. That's it. I was there with you until we got separated and then met back up. (laughs) That's right. Ronan, you should have put one of those those little kid leashes on Jeremy so you didn't get separated. I tried. He uh, fidgeted his way out of it and ran off into the crowd. He was gone. He was going ran he was away. For Eddie. Had ran to away. A, had he had to climb up a lamppost. Go. Has anybody seen Jeremy? Anybody, Jeremy? And Randall, I also got yelled at by a woman walking in front of us because I was explaining to Harriet what the and I I called it the Sears Tower. What the Sears Tower was, and some <laughs> mm. woman turned in front of us, sna- turned around, snapped back at me that it was the Willis Tower. Well, you know, for for some of the emotions that were probably probably running through people that day, it's understandable. Uh, you know, nobody, nobody got hurt. Maybe some people I, got snapped. Yeah, I explained that I grew up there and then sometimes it just sticks with me. The yeah, I was unfortunately smiled and laughed it off. I, I was, was like, unfortunately not at that parade. Um, I would have loved to. Well, I don't know if I would have loved to have been there. I might have enjoyed. I might have enjoyed the necessity of being there. I don't know if I would have loved it. Um, but what, what an incredible day that was. The weather was perfect. It was a chilly perfectly clear November day, a lot like we are fortunate to get every November. What a perfect day. What a per- perfect parade, seeing the players at starting at Wrigley on the buses, waving to people, looking at the people and the, the rally, Pat Hughes introducing every player and their, their accomplishments. What an incredible day. What an incredible October and beginning of November yeah. that was. And just a photogenic day too. It was the picturesque fall day in Chicago, dark blue skies. The leaves looked incredible the city was having a good time and partying and for all 6 million people that ended up downtown, other than the trains being backed up for like three days, getting people back out of the city, it was peaceful. People were enjoying themselves, celebrating. One of the great civic moments in Chicago history was that parade. And I'm glad to have been a part of it, but I'm not doing another one because it's never going to top that one. So let's get some more world series championships. Let's have plenty of parades in the city, but that was just a moment that looking back on it um, to have that moment, to have that moment with my family, with my dad, who's the reason I'm a Cubs fan, that's very, very special. And to lose Jeremy that day in amongst the crowd, that's also very special. It was very you, special. You know what color the sky was that day? Cubby was Cubs, blue? Cubs blue. That's right. Yeah. I got a really cool picture, too. My, my parents' house, my dad is the kind of guy that W flag goes out after a win. And if they lose, W flag comes down. So he's very diligent with that. Just an awesome shot of the various colors in the trees there. And then the W flag in the driveway it just looks good. Uh, that picture is sticking in the archives for a long, long time. I got to say something here too, Jeremy, just a minute ago, you're talking about Harriet. I would be remiss if we didn't wish her a happy birthday here. 28th birthday this evening. She's a big fan of the podcast. So happy birthday, Harriet. She loves the fact I'm recording a podcast here on her birthday. But before you kind of jump on me and say, Ronan, what are you doing? We are going to Utah for a couple of days, heading out to Moab. Very much looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time um, and uh, all that. But happy birthday, Harriet. Happy birthday, Harriet. Absolutely. Happy birthday. Good stuff. Good stuff there. But looking back on the World Series, say the honeymoon period is over here. 
I think that's fair to say. I mean, the front office looks drastically different. The major league roster looks different. I'm so glad we had 2016. I love just about every player still that was a part of that uh, World Series championship. But it's time for this next era now of Cubs baseball. A lot of these players have moved on. The next great Cubs team, as Jed likes to say, that's the goal. And that's what I'm looking for here now. I don't want this to be an 85 Bears situation where 30 years from now, it's just all 2016 Cubs. That team gets its own place on the mantle, but we need some more world championships now. And hopefully this is the beginning of that new era. 2016 was fun. Let's do it again. Let's not, yeah. let's not make 2016 the only one we're ever going to see. You think Cubs gets six and eight years like the Bulls? No, <laughs> nobody's won. So. A, nobody's won back-to-back World Series and since the Yankees, man. Yeah, over it's, twenty it's, years. It's, it's difficult mean, to do. People complain it's about Major League Baseball parity, and you're going to hear it a lot this offseason. Like if it, especially if a lockout comes to fruition with the labor talks about how oh we have to do all these things for competitive balance and whatever. Fifteen teams, half the league has won a World Series in the last twenty years. Uh, almost 27 teams have made it to the, uh, like to the world series and the league championship series. There is a lot of, there's not a lot uh, when it, when you, the baseball is up there for a lot of competitive balance. So, so don't, don't believe that. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. And talking about those back-to-back world series champions. So the Yankees won at 96, not 97, but they win at 96, 98, 99, 2000. They take 2001 to game seven before losing in Arizona, the Mark Grace game we were talking about earlier in the podcast here, that was an incredible run. And while the Giants had that run three and five years in the mid-2000s, we haven't quite had the back-to-back, and we haven't had that type of a dynasty. And it's hard to imagine we're going to get one anytime soon. It is so difficult to win a World Series and then to come back and do it again to maintain the health of your players to get the luck that you need that goes into a World Series championship, it's virtually impossible. So, you know, hats off to Atlanta. They're going to try to do it next year, but you know what? I don't think they're going to. I know you blanked it out of your mind. Oh, sorry. But uh, 2003, the Yankees also made the World Series. That's right. There was no World Series that year. I canceled it. Well, Randall canceled it. I, I canceled it. I pulled the plug. Didn't happen. You know, this might be the nerdiest thing that I've ever said on this podcast, but one thing about this season Uh, I spend a fair amount of time on Reddit, and I like to read the the out-of-the-park baseball, the OOTP Reddit. It's just other fans that play the game, strategy, sharing your stories, all that good stuff. But something that always kind of makes me laugh are relatively new players to OOTP, this baseball simulator. They build a 115 or 110 win team. They get to the playoffs. They get knocked out by like an 85 win or 87 win wildcard team, and they take to the boards to say, this game is unrealistic. This couldn't happen. I had the better team. Why did they lose? Atlanta won 88 games this year. They knocked off the defending World Series champions in definitive style, too, in the Dodgers. They go to the World Series. The Astros have been to five straight ALCS. They beat them. This is baseball. This is what happens. You do not have to be the best team in the regular season. Atlanta became the best team in the last month of the year here. They were aggressive at the trade deadline. They went for it, and it paid off. That's baseball. That's why this sport is so appealing to us. But it's kind of the perfect like OOTP comparison there is that this is how it happens in the real world. And sometimes the best team doesn't always win. It's the hottest team at the end of the year that makes it happen. But I would like to point out that the 2016 Cubs were both the best team sure. and the World Series winner. That's, That's true. Fair. It does happen. It does happen time to time, but certainly less often than the National Football League or the I mean, NBA where you don't have that parity at all. The Dodgers and Astros would have 
be racking up those World Series if it did. Uh, you know, that that five straight LCS, what the Dodgers have done over the past few years as well, that's probably as close as you can probably get to having a little bit of a dynasty because it's just so difficult every year to to really, I mean, in this day and age, to really, you know, win a World Series. But and it's unfortunate that the Cubs, they had that three straight NLCS, 15, 16, 17, uh, but it's unfortunate that they weren't ever really able to get back to that you know, mountaintop of the world series ever again. Well, you know, if you're, if you're going to peak, you might as well peak in the world series because there are plenty of teams that had great runs, but they couldn't get over that final step. And, you know, for all the talk about dynasties and winning multiple rings, all of the teams who came about their core at the same time, the Cubs did, they've only managed the one ring as well. So the Cubs should have more opportunities for rings they should have had better opportunities for rings but it's a whole lot better to win the one and complain you should have had more than it is to win zero and complain that you should have one well let me poke fun at a guy who didn't win a ring and one of jeremy's old buddies jason kipnis <laughs> all over twitter today and jeremy was sending all of them to the group chat but goodness, wow, one tweet last night <laughs> he was reflecting on the world series maybe i looked through his twitter feed then and he yeah. had multiple comments about the world series you know whatever the case may be there but uh, this is a guy who was reflecting on it from the other side of it. And it was funny. He sort of asked fans today, stop reminding him about the foul ball that he jacked off Chapman down the right field line. It looked off the bat. Like <laughs> what did he do to Chapman down the right field off. line? He jacked it off. <laughs> oh, wow. Chapman. Off Chapman Goodness. down the right field line and foul. But it was funny kind of getting his perspective of it. You know, we, we, we heard from Carter Hawkins, who was a part of the front office back then about, what it meant to him driving through Wrigleyville after game five and kind of seeing the chaos. Jason Kipnis, there's a guy who uh, fortunately doesn't have a World Series ring because the Cubs were able to pull it off down three to one. And Ron, I'll always remember as the Cubs went down three to one, they interviewed Kipnis at the oh, end yes. of that game. And whoever was on sideline for Fox in that series, they asked Jason Kipnis, uh, can you imagine what it would be like to win a World Series? And he answers, kind of getting misty. He answers, I'm starting to I'm starting to think about what it could feel like. And I'll never forget you saying, yeah, you worry about that, buddy. And it never it never quite came to fruition. They were they were ready to crown them champs before it was over. Uh, made it all that more satisfying when the Cubs came back to finish it off. Well, he did say last year, you know, in spring training pre-COVID when Marquis was really jumping out there last year. He said that, you know, he I don't know if he said he had like PTSD or whatever, but he said it was kind of annoying to be in Mesa where every TV was turned to Mar Marquee and all they ever showed is 2016 Cubs highlights, World Series highlights, you know, winning the, it over and over again. The 2020 Cubs visited Cleveland, obviously, and apparently every time they'd go somewhere in the ballpark, Rizzo would say to Kipnis, we celebrated here and we celebrated <laughs> here. And I think at some point Kipnis told him where to shove it because he got real tired of Rizzo's antics. But that's, uh, that's Rizzo in a nutshell. But yeah, that 2016 team, you know, who's left it's it's Kyle it's Wilson and we don't know how long Wilson's going to be around uh with one year left to, uh you know under team control this is, Jason, control. this is Jason Hayward erasure well I you know I'm still getting there I was just talking about what Wilson he's you know we got one year left and, and yes Jason Hayward I was going to mention uh so we, it's three guys and, and Hayward's probably towards the end of his career uh, Kyle had a struggle last year, a, a mighty struggle, as obviously Jason did as well. So who knows what the future holds, whether or not a, a 2016 Cub will ever get a second ring as a member of the Cubs. Hopefully soon, you know, hopefully Kyle's around. 
Well, I but, hope David Ross gets. A well, yes, ring. I hope David Ross. I meant as a player. You're <laughs> sure, right. Of course, David Ross. Of I mean, I hope Jed Hoyer gets many rings. Yeah. <laughs> and Carter Hawkins for that matter, yeah. too. Let's well, just keep them keep them going. But the um, front one other base is way different, too. Totally. Totally. Um, one other baseball point that we want to touch on here, and then we'll do a quick minute or two on the Bears, a team that just looks awful, and the Bulls, a team that looks pretty good. But on the Major League Baseball front here, Buster Posey retiring just a couple hours here before the podcast that news broke guys i'm shocked just came off his age 34 season yeah a little bit older for a catcher but he had a fantastic season three and a half war giants win the national league west 107 games this year i couldn't believe it at all for buster posey doing whatever he wants to do with his life make the decisions he need to make but this one caught me by surprise that he's hanging it up especially after the year that he had I'm very shocked. Um, we know that last year he sat out for COVID related reasons. And I'm thinking maybe, you know, that that might've played into, you know, thinking that maybe he didn't want to play as long anymore or for whatever reason, or maybe that was before that. Maybe that was one of the reasons why he sat out last year and then coming back. But, you know, this was the end of his contract. He has an, a, there's a team option for next year, but other than that, he's not his contract. He fulfilled his, uh, his entire contract. And if he tells the team he wants to retire, you know, I guess the team's saving some money there because they would obviously have brought him back. Is either of you to see the news? Um, I was as shocked as either. I'm sorry, Jeremy, go ahead. Oh, yeah, but you can go. I I was as shocked as either of you to to see the news today. He's only 34 years old, and it feels like he's been around forever, but he was drafted in a way he came up at the tail end of the 09 season. Then he broke onto the scene really in 2010, but he's only 33 years old. And, you know, granted, this is the age at which – catchers really start to break down and their production really starts to suffer. And by all accounts, this is Posey saying he wants to go out on his own terms while he's still able to move around and walk and not going to end up needing knee replacements or hip replacements down the line, like Bob Renly or other guys who caught most of their careers. Um, And Jeremy, you pointed out he sat out last season. Uh, He and his, his wife adopted twin children last year in 2020. And I would imagine there's a lot of need to be around for that development of, of childhood, especially when you've adopted. And so this is him saying he wants to go out on his own terms after, after a great season, he's still in physical condition to be able to play with his kids and enjoy the rest of his life. And so I say good for him. He's, he's going out on top. I thought years ago they would have moved him to third base and played him there the rest of his career and tried and extended him and saved his body that way. That didn't transpire, obviously, but good for him. He's, he's making the decision on his own terms and for his own reasons. And you, you can't, you, you can't ever fault a guy for doing that. Well, I mean, they did move him to first base and that seemed kind of reasonable to me, like with Joe Maurer and some other, a lot of other players. I don't know if I ever saw third base in his future, but he, he played a lot of games at first base over the past couple of years. Uh, but you know, what I was trying to, what I was going to say is uh, he, I, I think he's obviously a Hall of Fame player and he uh, and it seems kind of funny that I feel like his retirement has hurt him a little bit in terms of his Hall of Fame saying, I think he gets in. I think he'll probably get in easily, but there are people out there that will probably take him to task for not having as compiling as much, you know, statistics or whatever, because he would have had more. He's coming off a great year. He would have had more had he played another year. He missed last year, obviously. And so him retiring so soon kind of hurts his own hall of fame chances. He's not staying on to collect as much when he was, you know, he's one of the best players to ever play the catcher position, an elite framer, a great hitter, rookie of the year, MVP, three-time world champion, world series champion, a uh, seven-time all-star, I believe. And Old so love winner. Yeah. 
Uh, so I, I think, you know, I think he's, he'll be there. I, I think he probably deserves to get into. And Jeremy, I figured third base, I figured the Giants already had belt at first base. And I figured Posey's athletic enough to probably play third base. I don't think you'd put him in the outfield with catcher's, catcher's knees. Well, you know, okay, this, I had this thought years ago. There was no such thing mm-hmm. as the DH in the NL. Like I had this thought after 2014 or 2015 or 2016. So this is, this is not a recent thought. This is a years ago thought uh, when NL, NLDH was just a fever dream that would come up every time Joel Sherman or somebody said, oh, the NL is considering the DH and it never came out that way. That's just why it was so surprising to me as well. I mean, you get into your mid thirties and unless your name's Yadier Molina, it's really difficult to catch. But you got the DH coming to the National League. He can play elsewhere across the infield. I'm just very surprised. Now, the other side of it is maybe he knows a lot of things went right for the Giants this year. And maybe he anticipates next year. Dodgers are going to be good again. Padres are going to be very competitive. Kind of go out on top. And I don't mean on top as in just won a World Series, but he had one of the better years of his career, especially for this portion of his career. And the team was very good. So... He can go out on his terms. It's just uh, surprising. And Jeremy, I'm with you. I think he does have a very, very compelling Hall of Fame case. Um, Hall of Fame voters, too. They love postseason success. Three World Series championships in five years. He was the heart and soul of those teams. Very, very good player. And unfortunately, baseball's worse off because that's it for Buster Posey. Yeah. And we're not going to get to see him bat or catch anymore. I, I'm a big Buster Posey fan. I was a Buster Posey fan dating back to Florida State. I, lo- I loved him at uh, Florida State. You know, he used to pit. He, he actually went to Florida State as a shortstop, and they moved him to catcher, and he would close as well. Um, so I I think he's a great player. I, I think that, you know, it's just surprising to see a guy with a year like he had retire because he had such a great year. I mean, even even Barry Bonds, when he I think he retired with, what, 3.5 war? Barry Bonds, when he when nobody would resign him, he had 3.4 war. So like it's it's crazy that a guy coming off that year. That's what's so surprising to me. It's usually you see a guy like that. Most guys basically they don't they don't leave until they're told to leave. Um, ninety five percent of everybody in in life, you know, they they quit base playing baseball when they're told to stop playing baseball. You know, when they're not they're told, okay, we don't need you. You're not going to be here for this team. Uh so it's surprising to see somebody just walk away when they still seem to be able to contribute at such a high level. Productive. The only thing I can compare it to Jeremy was when Randall J. Sanders walked away from his Mm -hmm. final radio show in high school. Turn off the lights. When he turned off the lights, when he powered off the mic for the last time, I said, there is a man going out on top and it took damn near 20 years to dig him back out and have him do this podcast. Walked off into the sunset. Yeah, Buster. Everything Buster was Posey, shut down. Buster Posey had a little more of a, a little better baseball career than I did a high school radio career. Though to that end, even though it feels a, a, like Buster Posey was around forever, we talked earlier about when he was drafted, when he made his major league debut. With him sitting out all of last season, he did not actually hit ten years of major league service time. And I think with the way that last year's service time was prorated, I think even had he not sat out, he wouldn't have gotten to 10 years. I think he was at 9.1 and change after this season. So that's crazy because, again, the guy's been around forever. He did it all. He's He won it all. He won just about every award that a, a catcher, a good catcher on a good team can win, and he still didn't hit 10 years of major league service time. Well, well last year. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say last year, if you, play, if you played the whole year, that count as a year. 
Okay, so he, he would have he would have hit just over ten, but it, with sitting out with sitting out last season, he didn't get there. Well, he's made a couple hundred million in his career, but he does miss out now on that ten year pension. So that that doesn't burn him too much. Still, that's a good point, uh, Randall. I didn't realize he was that close to it. No, oh yeah, no, I I, I think he did actually get ten years. So, so it's moot. You're, you're I mean, according to his baseball something. reference page, he's at ten point. After they updated for the year, he's at ten point one six one. Okay, so it's okay. possible I was working with outdated information, but the the resource that I was on today said he was at nine point nine point one six. It probably hadn't updated yet for the. It's possible. This, it's possible it hadn't year. updated. It's possible it hadn't updated. So even if that is accurate, he's going out with just over ten, which again still seems light for a guy who feels like he's been around forever. Imagine this: Buster Posey was drafted the same year Giovanni Soto won Rookie of the Year, like just that that juxtaposition of eras. Yeah, yeah. He, he's about 10 days away from number 11 because what Brian has like 171 as his number. And he's I think it's 172 is what counts as a season. Well, we'll have much more Cubs talk, baseball talk, all that good stuff again next week on the Kyle Farnsworth edition of Behind the Yellow Line, episode 44. Got about two minutes here to go on the show. Let's start with the Chicago Bulls. Six and one. Best record six, in the NBA. Six and two. I'm six and two. Oh. I'm sorry to say they lost to the Sixers in a close game tonight. Although they did at one point overcome another big deficit uh, to tie the game briefly late, and then they couldn't quite go ahead and close it out. Six and two, though, still pretty good. Absolutely, and they had that come from behind win uh, at the Garden earlier in the week. Boston Garden is what I'm trying to say, not Madison Square Garden against former, future Indiana University head coach Brad Stevens. Yeah, and future the Boston Celtics. Former future, Jared. former future. Yeah, he's the former future. Um, okay. Uh, well, the Bulls have been playing pretty well, so uh, kind of surprising to me. But you know, I haven't been following a lot, but it's nice to see the Bulls play well. And to be honest, you know, this is not quite Bulls related, but I- I'm a little sad when I see Scottie Pippen coming out there, you know, being so bitter about everything that's gone down. It's and I hopefully Scottie Pippen has some, you know, get publishing excerpts from his book that they seem a little off to me. Well, Scotty, Scotty's got a book to sell. I don't think this should surprise anybody. He's got a book to sell and he's got a, what, what, what spirit does he, does he push now? Is it tequila? Is it, is it whiskey? Something like that. He's got a, a drink line to sell. So Scotty's Scotty's Scotty do in the words of Dr. Evil, Scotty do. Well, how about that other team at the United center? Oof. The black. No, we're not going to get into yeah, that no, Put a mess on uh, the West side of the city with the hockey team. Yikes. Blackhawks. Patrick Kane playing pretty well. <laughs> I, I, I just He's know out. bad. Bears. They've got a whole bunch yeah. of trouble. So here's another team that stinks. Chicago Bears lose at home to the 49ers. I was optimistic. Jeremy was surprisingly optimistic that they were going to win over the weekend. That did not happen. And uh, it's just it's just not fun right now. Watching Chicago Bears football. A couple tough losses here in a row. And um, difficult schedule continues over the next couple of weeks. They seem to play decently well on offense. I mean, I think Justin Fields had one of the better games uh, he's had in his career. He had quite an amazing run, obviously, for that touchdown run. Uh, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, w- it was nice to see them trying some things that he, he seemed to do well with. And But that defense, that defense was awful. That that defense yeah. was Mel, Tech, Mel Tucker level bad, who somehow – is winning games up there in Michigan. I don't understand how he's doing that Michigan state, but that was one of the worst defenses I've seen. And the defense has been bad for a couple of years, uh, a couple of weeks now, excuse me, uh, last three weeks, probably since Las Vegas, where they had such a nice game against Las Vegas, they've been bad. 
And there's no reason why a defense should have been that bad against that San Francisco team. Even, you know, Cleo Max not wasn't playing. That's not a great San Francisco offense. And that San Francisco offense, just they're just getting chunks and chunks and chunks of yardage. You couldn't even get them to third down. You could barely even get them to second down at the end of those, some of those drives. And so I don't know, Sean Desai, like I would put that guy on the timer. Like it, it's surprising to me that they, they hyped him up so much. It's like, the idea that this they just had this genius on staff that they didn't even really interview anybody else and they pumped them up and and it, it was bad so bad that I'd be like okay that guy's hot that guy's seat's got to be pretty hot but you, you know Coach Nagy's seat's pretty hot so most of the coaching staff is probably going anyways shades shades of the Mark Trestman era where they had a semblance of an offense but absolutely no defense whatsoever uh, that that Justin Fields touchdown run on fourth down that was electric that was one of the greatest things we've seen a Bears quarterback do in years decades maybe even but this this coaching staff it, it this is not the coaching staff to get justin fields to that next level you need no. i'm sorry nagy uh you know I, I think the 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 locker room likes him i think he's a great leader of individuals he's not the offensive mind that you need with your franchise quarterback nagy needs to go he he, he wasn't there he did go this this past week of course he was out with covid and you never want to wish that on somebody but uh, I, I saw somebody say uh, Nagy's COVID test. Well, there is the somebody th- that I'm sure Randall wished it on that's out with COVID now. No, I, I've never wished COVID on anyone. It's a deadly pandemic illness. I've never wished well, that on anybody. Hey, hey, hey Ron. Okay. I, I, hate so much. Okay. The circumstances around <laughs> him contracting it are ridiculous and hilariously terrible and the most idiotic thing ever. But I would not have wished a potentially deadly pandemic illness upon him. I've wished a lot of other things upon him. I'll, I'll come, I'll cop to that. But um, somebody said that uh, Nagy's COVID test was the only thing positive about his last few seasons. And boy, that's harsh. That's harsh, but I don't know that it's wrong. So this coaching staff needs to go. You need a competent offensive staff in place around Justin Fields. You need to get him more weapons and their draft capital is pretty depleted going forward. So I'm, I'm hoping they can work around that, but Nagy, Nagy needs to go. I'm sorry. They should have traded one of their quarterbacks. I don't understand why they didn't. Well, um, I'm with you, Randall, in that I don't wish anything in terms of health on Matt Nagy, but I do wish him a swift exit out of the city of Chicago. Should have been fired before this season started. He should have absolutely been fired after that debacle in Tampa Bay, and uh, I just don't see anything good from him being around as sort of a lame duck coach. He's clearly not the future of this franchise, uh, but the Bears are back at it. They get an extra day off, a Monday night football game against the Pittsburgh team that isn't as powerful as they've been in years past. They are 4-3. and three. They are the favorites by a touchdown, but the Bears... Can they do it, Randall? Can they go to Pittsburgh, that beautiful city on all the rivers, and beat the Steelers on Monday night? I don't especially think so. I I like to think Justin Fields will do a few more things that make us go, wow, I don't think the Bears are going to emerge victorious in this one. I don't think so either. I think it's probably going to be a pretty awful game. I think the Bears are probably going to look pretty terrible on offense. We're going to wonder why they're all out there anyways. I think Fields will probably struggle a lot. I, I don't expect him to really do much. Hopefully the defense plays a little bit what better. I mean, Brent Roethlisberger has been throwing ducks everywhere he goes. I'm actually a little disappointed because there's going to be no Manning cast this week. And I would have watched the Manning mm. cast just to add some, you know, fun to my night of watching Bears football. So uh, that's a little disappointing. Well, I will uh, buck the trend here and say the bears are going to find their fourth win at Pittsburgh every uh, week. I don't know. Uh, not every week. I did predict a loss somewhere along the way. Was Packers. it uh, 
Packers no, 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 you had them being the Packers. Oh, so but you definitely pre- you, you definitely de- you did predict a loss, loss somewhere. I, I you did predict a loss, but I don't remember which game it was. Oh, Tampa Bay. Of course. Tampa Bay. Yes. I didn't think Tampa they were Bay. gonna go down to Tampa Bay and beat Brady. Um, I thought they might score a touchdown, but <laughs> that's too much to ask. I think they're gonna beat the Steelers. It's not the same Steelers team that we've seen in the last few years. Um, maybe they get hot. Justin Fields is a talent man, no question about that. And there's probably gonna be a game this year where he's going to go off and do something incredible, even if the guys around him aren't those guys. I hope so. Let it be Monday Night Football. It's coming out party for him here on Monday Night Football, maybe the beginning of, a, of an era of him dominating on Monday Night Football. So that's the hope. So I'm going to take the win there. But we will be back next week when I uh, get back from Utah, and we are going to talk some Cubs baseball for episode number 44. I'm looking forward to it because I got all the Kyle Farnsworth stories coming out next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. But for Jeremy and Randall, this is Ronan. Thanks for joining us. Happy birthday, Harriet. We'll see you next week on Behind the Yellow Line.